The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. I always say it, I mean it, and I think it's true. So there you are. What's the buzz today? Let's see. Well, we have a quote from Jonathan Lockwood Huey, H-U-I-E. If you've never heard of him, he is the author of the Quotes of Inspiration from Daily Inspiration, JLHUIE.com and self-awareness books. He's called the philosopher of happiness, joyful living for all through conscious choice. Look him up. Here's the quote we selected. This actually came to us. Choose what lies in the shadows to be a matter for discovery and adventure rather than fear. Now, just think about that. Hmm. So, what are we talking about? I have two phase phrases that are feared by CFOs and corporate accountants everywhere. The auditors noted, in quotes, and we discovered. They are crouching, cowering in the corner saying, oh, no, we didn't want to see that. Why? Well, a failed audit that's detailed in your annual report can unintentionally, well, escalate you right up to the top of the Wall Street Journal and other business publications into the headlines. What else can do it? Well, what if your employees or consultants or contractors have been committing fraud right under your nose and your controls are lax or poor or non-existent and you just didn't detect it for a long time and somebody finds out bingo instant headlines they say no publicity is bad publicity not true okay no there's no such thing as bad publicity not true at all so what's the solution to all of this you don't want to land in the wrong kind of headlines you can leverage something called risk visibility and you can reduce your risk exposure by automating your control data real time online but the big question is how do we do it where do we find the tools who can teach us how to do this we are fearful of what's lurking in the corners we don't want to play that game anymore. The experts speak. We have three experts on this topic with us today. I think you're going to really learn from them, their wisdom, their points of view, their experience. First up, in just a moment, I'll be welcoming a newcomer to Game Changers. They're all newcomers. Susan Stapleton, Vice President of the Customer Advisory Office at a company called Greenlight, one word. She'll tell us about what they do in a moment. Joining her on the panel is Tony. I'll use her middle initial now, M. Lestella. She's the ERP Solutions Managing Director at a 
company called Protivity Inc., and she'll tell us what they do. And rounding out the panel is a colleague of mine at SAP GRCS. It's Kevin McCollum. He's a global solution office owner for SAP GCRS. So let's circle back to Susan Stapleton, and Susan has sent us an opening quote from Warren Buffett. Do I have to say too much? The most successful investor in the world, chairman, CEO, largest shareholder of Berkshire Hathaway. He was ranked as the world's wealthiest person in 2008 and dropped to the third wealthiest in 2015. I don't think he's crying about that. Here is the quote Susan has selected. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. Susan Stapleton, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Tell me, are you a big fan of Warren Buffett? Is he one of your heroes? And what does the quote mean with our topic today? Well, I do have a lot of respect for Warren Buffett, but uh, just searching through some quotes that, that line up to what I wanted to talk about. I mean, he had several. This was one of them, but just ties into what we do at Greenlight, and that's you know really helping customers do things differently. And I think a lot of folks out there, CFOs, CEOs, if they knew today what they would, uh, or yeah, what might happen in a week or two, or or a month or two, or a year or two, um, that might cause them to be a headline in the Wall Street Journal or on uh, any other online news, um, uh, uh, you know, CNN or whatever, they, they would probably do things differently if they could make sure that that didn't happen, if the headline was a bad headline. So do you agree that there is no such thing as bad publicity, Susan? We used to say that back in the day before we had social media and before we had everything at the click of a mouse where you could find anything about everybody. That's not true anymore, is it? There is bad publicity, yes? That is absolutely true, and uh, you just have to watch the news over the last couple of weeks to see some really bad publicity that caused a really bad reputation or, or you know, causes a reputation hit to some fairly large companies. That's right. Well, we're seeing some airline brouhaha's. We're seeing some TV network brouhaha's. We're seeing a lot of governmental brouhaha's. And what we're really focusing on today is not having in place the right controls, financial controls, and not being aware of the risk you may put in your co- putting your company in the path of that risk on a daily, weekly, by-the-minute basis. So, Susan, thank you for joining us. I know you have a lot to share with us. And now let's turn to Tony M. Lestella. Tony, I will drop the M eventually, but I use my middle initials so I like yours. So she sent us a quote from Albert Einstein. You all know Einstein's work is most well-known for its influence on the philosophy of science. He's best known in popular culture for his world's most famous equation, which he didn't know at the time, E equals MC squared. He received a 1921 Nobel Prize in physics, and he is one of the two pillars of modern physics alongside quantum mechanics, whatever that means. Here's the quote Tony has selected from Einstein. The only source of knowledge is experience. Tony Listella. Tony, go ahead. Tell me about how you picked this quote for our topic today. Yeah, well, uh, similar to what Susan said, Albert Einstein has many quotes. And um, even just the quote around his, you know, defining insanity for most of us out there, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So I I wanted to use a a little bit of a, a less known quote from him and, you know, basically we really need as companies and as individuals to 
to learn through experience and whether that be experience of other companies that end up in the headlines, you, you definitely want to have those lessons learned. So I think we can learn from, you know, where controls have failed and make sure we don't continue to do the same things over and over again. And then also learn from, learn from others as far as, you know, third parties and independent um, resources to really understand how to learn from what others are doing out there, where, what we're seeing in the market and, and yeah, and just keep keep those keep those bad publicities out there because um, I do agree. Um, now with that social media aspect, we there isn't you don't always want your name in, in that headline. Thank you very much, Tony. Do you think companies are learning really the experience of other companies you mentioned? And I agree with you. But do you think companies with poor controls are saying, ah, they yanked a guy off an airline? Poor, poor blank, blank, blank airline. They're getting a bad rap. They're making settlements and poor whoever it is running such and such a television station and blah, blah, blah. Do you think that they are able to make the leap of faith or the introspection, Tony, and say, you know, maybe we got some bad behavior and some fraud going on here. Maybe we should tighten up our controls. Do you think they're making that connection of the dots? I would say in in certain industries and certain organizations, people are starting to ask the questions. They might not know how to to kind of elaborate or work with what they're seeing like from other experiences, but I think they're starting to ask the questions and and that's where it really is understanding that you don't need to know the how, but you need to know the what and like where the exposures may be. Thank you very much. Words of wisdom from Tony Lestella. We have a lot more to chat with you about, Tony, and let's bring on Kevin McCollum at SAP GRCS, and he has sent us a quote from General George Patton. Anybody wondering what the S stands for in George S. Patton? It's Smith. He passed away at the young age of 60. He was a U.S. Army general who commanded the 7th U.S. Army in the Mediterranean and European theaters of World War II. Uh, he was born to a privileged family, interestingly enough, with an extensive military background, and he's best known for his leadership of the 3rd U.S. Army in France and Germany after the Allied invasion of Normandy. Here is the quote from Kevin McCollum. Take calculated risks. That is quite different from being rash. Kevin, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Tell me about your quote. So, uh, I I like the quote for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, it speaks the truth, um, calculated risks, uh, emphasis being on calculating and un- calculated and understanding and embracing risk. And as your opening quote said, looking into the shadows, not with fear, but actually embracing the risk, understanding it, and um, it, making your plans based on a calculated risk. And then the other part of the quote is the that... George Patton, um, perceived in the public as probably one of the most over-the-top guys, a huge motivator, but he could also Mm -hmm. be a bit uh, fiery, um, would would caution against being rash. But it's it's right. That's that's spot on. Calculated risk is something, and risk itself is something to be embraced. It's something to be understood. It's something to be quantified and something to be controlled. Part of our discussion today is about control. And doing that, you can build a strategy. And Patton was a brilliant strategist and tactician. You can build a strategy that leverages that risk to your competitive advantage by having control over it. So that's why I like the quote so much. 
Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And and going back to what I mentioned to Tony, do you think that all of these companies in the news landing in the wrong kind of headlines, Kevin, do you think that companies not that are saying, well, thank God that's not us, but do you think they're saying we better take a closer look or is this this show today, will this be breaking news for companies listening and saying, oh, gee, yeah, they could be talking about us. Do we really know what's going on? Are we really looking at our audits closely enough? Are we really, really working closely enough with our, our uh, CFO staff? What do you think? Is this breaking news or is this a reminder? Uh, for some, this is breaking news. For the entrenched leaders, um, they're, they've moved along the maturity curve of understanding the interplay between business risk and being able to control and mitigate risk. There are leaders who uh, got there on a meteoric rise and really haven't, and, and they're really still in the, it'll never happen to me, or, oh, if I mm-hmm. look at this, have my auditors look at this, I'll be fine. You don't yes. want your auditors looking at this. You want to be in control. <laughs> so for some, this will be a wake-up, those will be a wake-up call, and that's good. For others, for the ones who are really best in class, they've already mastered this and, and managed their risk. Kevin, you said something very provocative, and I'm going to have to not challenge you, but ask you about that, and I'm going to go around the table and ask Susan and Tony the same question. You said, you don't want your auditors looking at this. You want to look at this. So to whom are we addressing the you? Is this the CEO, the CTO, the CIO, the CFO, uh, managers down the line who have the employee teams that might be uncontrolled, if I can use that term very loosely? Who is the you who should not be trusting? Is that the word you want to say? Trusting the auditors? Kevin McCollum, what do you think? I think everybody has a role in a, in a risk-aware um, business enterprise. Everybody has a role from the C-suite to set the overall business strategy. Operational management, uh, middle management has the responsibility to understand what the both high-level and low-level risks are to that strategy, such as something like unmitigated uh, access risks, uh, someone having the uh, keys to your IT kingdom and being able to perpetuate frauds in the various IT silos, and then right down to the operational folks who are the actual risk and control owners who are going to be responsible for day-to-day ensuring that risk is quantified, assessed, and mitigated. So I think everyone has a role in the organization. Thank you. So it's all hands on deck. Thank, thank you for that, that expansive look. Susan Stapleton at Greenlight, tell me, do you agree or disagree with what Kevin McCollum just shared with us? I agree with him, and I do think it has a lot to do with maturity curve of an of a organization. But I've been in this space of GRC for almost 20 years now, and it has really transfer, uh, transformed from back in the day uh, IT was being held responsible for who had access to what business systems and even what users were doing in those business systems. And now it has completely shifted over to the business making sure they know who has access to my systems, what are they doing. It's quite complex now, the number of business applications that companies use to manage their, their uh, businesses. And what we're seeing is that now it's the CFO who is caring about this because it's the CFO who potentially would lose their job or be named in a, um, uh, a headline or, you know, kind of be held accountable if, if a company's name is in the headline for having bad controls of their business applications. Thank you very much. Insightful. And Tony Listella, what are your thoughts on this? 
Yeah, I would agree with um, both Keith and Susan. Um, And then I would also say I think it's less of not trusting the auditors and more of as an organization and as... um, as the leadership in an organization, you you don't want to be reactive and be surprised by what the auditors are finding. You want to, you know, take the initiative and have those preventative controls or have those detective controls in place so that you have more of that visibility. So I, I think there's a way um, that organizations are really starting to um, collaborate and, and partner with auditors and internal control organizations, either in-house or external, so that that it's less of, um, you know, the, the cop um, feeling and more of, you know, you can trust that they'll highlight something that you're not seeing. But at the end of the day, I think it really is the responsibility and, and tone at the top is very important. Thank you very much. Tone at the top. I like that. Thank you, Tony. Kevin, look what you started. And Kevin, I'm going to give you a break for a second here and circle around to Susan Stapleton. Susan, a couple of questions for you. Number one, please tell us a little bit about Greenlight, where you're based and what you do. And then tell me where you're calling from. Not the Google coordinates of the roof of your house or your office. Not that personal. And what are you drinking right now? Or what would you rather be drinking that makes you smile? Susan Stapleton. Well, uh, I am located in St. Louis, Missouri and uh, heading to Washington, D.C. for a couple of meetings tomorrow. So kind of travel around quite a bit, but nice and sunny here in St. Louis after many, many days of raining and a Mm -hmm. lot of flooding. So uh, happy to be on high ground. (laughs) Uh, I work for a company called Greenlight Technologies. We are a close partner of SAP. We provide uh, automated solutions to help companies manage uh, compliance and, and manage their risk and do it in a very automated way to provide the transparency that businesses need today uh, based on, you know, fast-moving businesses. Thank you very much. And what are you drinking? Or what would you rather be drinking, Susan? What would really make you smile right now? Uh, I am a big coffee drinker, black Folgers medium brew coffee. I'm kind of plain in that regard, no, no cream, no sugar. And I love coffee, but I like plain coffee, not the frou-frou coffee. Um, and, uh, <laughs> what's fr- if, hold on, I, hold on, hold on. What's, what's frou-frou coffee? I, know, I, I, know, well, I think I, I know what it means. Well, I can probably count on my, hand, my fingers of one hand how many times I've had coffee from Starbucks. Or, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't care for uh, fancy coffees. I like plain black coffee. Uh, I kind of agree with you. Somebody said to me, oh, why don't you put some fancy creamer in your coffee? And I said, that's not why I bought an espresso machine. That's not why I pay for each capsule what I pay for it to be dolling it up with some fake stuff in a can that's not even dairy. And oh, my goodness. So I'll, I'll just go for the real coffee flavor, which is why I choose what I do. I'm with you, Ms. Stapleton. Thank you so much. Tony Lastella, where are you calling from? What does Proviti do? And what would you love to be drinking? today or what are you drinking? Yeah, so I'm from, um, I'm in my New York office today and Protivity is a global consulting firm that focuses on finance, um, governance, risk and technology solutions for companies as well as we are a um, business implementer and partner um, of SAP solution products regarding um, risk and compliance. And I am drinking um, a ginger latte, so I have a bit of a frou-frou mm. beverage, but I am totally <laughs> with you in um, enjoying, you know, your basic black, you know, nice espresso coffees, too. But today I thought I'd spice it up for, for the show today. Susan, you, you have forever ruined the what's in your cup segment. Now I have to ask my guests if they're drinking frou-frou. <laughs> 
<laughs> Susan Stapleton, you're going to be famous forever for the lady who said, I'm not drinking fruit, fruit coffee. And I appreciate that very much. We're always looking for some new pardon me, flavors to the show. And you just added a very nice one, Susan. Thank you, Tony. Pleasure to meet you. And Kevin McCollum, well, I'm, I'm just going to ask, where are you? What are you drinking? I'm in our New York office today in Hudson Yards. If you haven't seen it, it's beautiful. I uh, heard. Public space. Yeah, it's wonderful. And I am from more from the frou-frou side of the house on what I'm drinking. I am <laughs> drinking a matcha latte. What so. is a matcha latte? A matcha tea, it's, uh, so it's a specially grown green tea to have a nice blend of caffeine and some amino acids that give what you'd call a calm energy. So I like both aspects of that. I got my little matcha stir that looks like what you stir shaving cream with from an old shaving, in an old <laughs> shaving cup, so I'm enjoying it. Well, I'm now on bonappetit.com slash recipe slash matcha, M-A-T-C-H-A hyphen L-A-T-T-E. It says swap out your morning coffee with this matcha powdered green tea latte recipe for an antioxidant boost. The ingredients are three quarters of a cup of unsweetened almond milk, soy milk, rice milk, or cow's milk. I'll go with the, the last one. One teaspoon of matcha powder and agave syrup. I have everything except the powder. Very, very interesting. Where do you buy your, your green tea powder, Kevin? Local? or you get it online? Uh, my son's a nutritional consultant, so I have an inside line, and he brings me my matcha powder. So, But you can you usually buy it at a nutritional st- food store, yeah. and your, your, your higher-end groceries carry it, too. Well, I'm going to read a little editorializing here for just a second. Please forgive me this. Did you know that this is a Civil War-era coffee substitute? That's what they say. This comes from the Civil War era. It's making a comeback. Brew it like coffee for an earthy, caffeine-free alternative. And then they say, we know it sounds boring. But one BA editor swears that a cup of 170-degree water boosts digestion and leaves her feeling recharged. Add lemon if you crave something more. So the BA is Bon Appetit. Well, thank you for that, uh, allowing me to deep dive and explore matcha that's very interesting. A matcha latte. Okay, I have to get my head out of thinking a latte has to be coffee. I think Susan and Tony probably do too. Matcha latte, everybody. So we're talking about financial impact of risk. Don't become that bad headline. By the way, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. This is a double header. I did a show at 10 a.m. and this is the second show today. So all I'm allowed to drink is water. So I have a cool, clear mug with cool, clear water from a Brita filter, nothing fancy, and a pink straw because I'm delighted that we've seen sunshine. Susan, and in between the raindrops here in New York, and Tony and Kevin know what I'm talking about. It was raining at 7 this morning, then it's sunny at 9 o'clock, then it was cloudy at 11. We just don't know what the weather's going to do. So I'm hoping the pink straw will keep the sun shining and keep us all feeling in the pink. Again, our topic is the financial impact of risk. The risk could be something that lands on your annual report in the financial statements. Don't think that the auditor is the only one who is in charge of all this. As Kevin McCollum said very prophetically and profoundly a few minutes, ago and, and our other panelists agreed everyone in the organization is responsible for looking at the option of risk exposure. How do you mitigate it? How do you prevent it? Are your employees doing something fraudulent? Your contractors, anybody working for or in your company that may get into the headlines someday or are your finances just messed up? Take a lesson from what's happening in the news today. You don't want to be that 
guy, quote unquote, in the headlines. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to do a deep dive. This topic is for everyone. I have to do a shout out to Alicia Rudolph at SAP, who is tweeting at hashtag SAP radio. Alicia, I am retweeting everything. Cindy Morell is also tweeting. She says, Cindy says, all hands on deck when it comes to risk awareness, management, and mitigation. Thank you, Cindy Morell. And these two ladies helped put together this wonderful panel and wonderful topic. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Kevin out. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and demand for innovation to help the world run better and improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how moving to the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Partnerships, changing the game for digital transformation is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to partnerships, changing the game for digital transformation. Yes, indeed. Here we are speaking today with Susan Stapleton at Greenlight, Tony M. Lestel at Proviti, and Kevin McCollum at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and it's time for us to go into our roundtable segment in earnest. So Susan Stapleton at Greenlight told me the following before the show. She's going to chat about it for a few minutes, and then we will invite Tony and Kevin to chime in. So Susan says, failed audits and ineffective controls have a big impact on the business. And she continues, a material weakness is a deficiency or a combination of deficiencies in internal controls over financial reporting that could result in misstatement of a company's financial statement. Let's do a deep dive. Susan Stapleton, please. Okay. So uh, material weakness, is, as Bonnie said, is a deficiency uh, in internal controls over financial reporting. And what we're seeing today is much more scrutiny by the external auditors in, in the in the internal controls over financial reporting, ICFR. Um, Not only could it cause you to have a misstatement of your financial statements and have to go back one or more years and look at a lot of data, um, it could cause you to be a headline in the news. And on top of that, companies' valuations typically drop, uh, on average, about 15%. So some companies I've seen as high as 20% of their stock price will drop overnight once they become a headline. And... Not only that, but your audit fees, uh, the second year after a material weakness can raise 
as much as 65% over the average uh, cost of a, uh, an organization of the same size. So when I talk about ineffective controls having a, biz- a big impact on the business, it is a big financial impact on the business. It is uh, an impact on, you know, how do I make these controls be effective going forward? Uh, I think, Bonnie, you were talking about all hands on deck. Uh, if you mm-hmm. fail an audit or you have a weakness in your financial reporting, it's all hands on deck, and there is a lot of fallout from that internally um, to make sure you get this issue resolved ASAP, um, and, then, and then you're paying for it year after year for two or three years in the next audit cycles. Susan, will it definitely make the headlines? Are there, and I'm going to bring Tony and Kevin in, but I'm just wondering as a point of fact, because we, that was the title of the show, uh, making don't, you don't want to be in those bad headlines in Wall Street Journal or any other business publication. Are reporters literally standing by watching all of these financial statements, combing through them and saying, aha, we got one. Now we got another major headline. And boy, are we going to sell papers or however they sell them today. Is this something that they are literally waiting to pounce on or can it go undetected by the press? Do you know? Um, I don't. uh, So in the past, if you had a, uh, a failed audit because there was something wrong with your internal controls, many times it would not be classified as a material weakness. I believe if you are a company of any size um, and a material weakness is reported by your external auditor and it, and it will be in your 10K or your annual report, it is going to make the headlines because um, it's a big no-no. And if I'm a stockholder or, you know, I have a lot of interest in your company, I want to know that you don't have good, good controls over, over your financials. And, and that would make me a little bit leery of owning, the, uh, you know, stock or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, on 60 Minutes this past Sunday, there was a big story on Bloomberg. And Bloomberg does a lot of market research and reporting on major companies of who supplies that company with uh, mm-hmm. raw materials, who does that company sell to, and so on. You don't want any weak links in your supply chain or um, even who, who is purchasing your, your product. So it does make the news. It is uh, big news, and it's starting to get, as I said, more scrutiny. So big companies are being reported. All you have to do is Google material weakness, and you'll see articles in CFO Magazine and Compliance Week in the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much. That's kind of scary. They are watching. Big brother, big sister, and aunts and uncles and grandmas and kids are all watching, however you call the press and shareholders today. Tony Lestella, Proviti, please join us. Agree or disagree with what Susan said. I agree, and I would also add the, there's that financial impact um, to an organization as they, they move to you know rectify the issues that have been identified, but it also takes a lot of um, time and effort from people within the organization. So on top of doing their day-to-day and, and trying to strategically focus on things, you know, then their focus ends up turning to putting out a fire. So I, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, strategic envisioning that needs to be thought about in some of this. And when you're just being reactive, you, you end up um, spending more time trying to fix things rather than really planning for them. Thank you very much. Kevin McCollum, what do you think? Uh, so one of the things I want to maybe highlight here um, is what are we really, you know, what is, what is a control really all about? What are, what are business controls all about? What are, first, what are they, right? So uh, examples of controls are, do I have 
you know, do I have the financial oversight in the payables department to ensure that I'm not paying duplicate invoices and that companies are respecting our terms so we get the benefit of our uh, billing ter- or, or of, of our payment terms, right? So that we're not paying too early, which affects our working capital. There are controls that say that, that are monitoring is someone changing bank account codes to divert money away from the company when money's being paid out. Why are those controls important? Those controls are important because for public companies and even for private companies who want to under who want to have full transparency, it's about it is about that transparency. I want to know as an investor what I'm investing in, okay? And understanding and having controls in place is one part of it. But maybe I'll mildly disagree to say that it's not enough to have controls in place. In many of the cases that Tony and um, Susan have alluded to, the issue at hand, the reason why someone, a, a big organization, a big public company failed an audit was because they had, contr- they had controls in place. They documented their controls copiously and said, we're mm-hmm. doing, you know, we're showing their auditors, we're doing all the right stuff. The, or, or we're, 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 we have all the right stuff in place. Here's our documentation of how we monitor duplicate invoice. The problem is they weren't doing it thoroughly enough because it was a purely manual process. They weren't doing it at all, which is as much negligence as not having any controls in place in the first place. So it's not mm-hmm. enough just to have controls. <coughs> you, have to have, you have to monitor those controls. You have to execute those controls. And in many cases... You, you need to consider for the high, uh, the high risk controls, the risk, the controls that affect high end parts of the financial statements. You absolutely need to consider automating uh, or even continuously monitoring those controls. So that is as being as neg- not doing those things is as, as much negligence that will end you up on in the headlines of the Wall Street Journal as it is simply just having controls. So that, that thank would be you, my, Kevin. My take on this. Very, very interesting. Susan, you started this topic. You want to comment on what, what Tony and or Kevin said? Um, I, I appreciate Kevin jumping in and, and talking about what are controls and what do they mean because uh, I think that was necessary just to kind of step back and, and talk through those things. Um, I, I believe that companies do have good controls in place, um, but they are highly manual, and it really only takes, uh, a couple of people who fail to perform that control um, or the controls just not performed as consistently as it should be across all organizational um, divisions, all of the divisions across the company. Um, and, and I think that's, that's what we're talking about here is that manual processes um, can, uh, even, even if you have the best of breed manual co- uh, process, controls documented end-to-end, people performing those controls, it really only takes a couple of people not performing those controls and actually some type of internal fraud to happen several months in a row or you know, even up to a year where the company is losing millions of dollars and they've had no insight into that. Um, that's why you know, good controls are important um, is to make sure you know, the employees aren't taking advantage and, and doing fraudulent activities. 
Thank you very much, Susan. Tony, I'm looking at your notes here, and let's take a deeper dive into what the risk exposure means, what the risks can be. Let me read from this, and then I'll ask you to expand it, and we'll see what Kevin and Susan have to say. Good conversation, by the way, everybody. I like the shades of meaning and the agreed slash disagree. Very important for our audience to hear all of your points of view, so thank you. Tony says, to be successful, your company must understand what could cause you to be on the front page. We're using the Wall Street Journal as an example. And she says it could be fraud. It could be cyber breaches. It could be a malfunctioning product. And you need to consider which people, which processes, and which technologies are vulnerable to these risks. So let's do a deeper dive into what actually could be the cause of the risk. Tony, please. Yeah, so I I would start by saying, you know, you talked about people, process, and technology. So within the people aspect of it, I'll go back to what I said. It it really does start with tone at the top and making sure from your C-level suite all the way down to your lower-level management, they all have that control-conscious way of thinking. Um, and, And what even what Susan was saying of the organizations, they do have controls in place, but they are very heavily manual. And even just depending on the maturity of the system and the ERP um, applications that a company is using, a lot of management doesn't even have visibility to what's going on in the organization. So from reporting, um, you know, innovative or helpful dashboards, that that's something that more and more companies are, are looking for and asking for. But a a lot of other um, companies, they, they're just dealing with finding things out after the fact. So I, as, I'm, as I'm talking about people, that moves me into technology and, and where people don't have the, the visibility and the reporting that they really need um, and they don't have the automated controls um, with what Keith was saying as far as being able to have that continuous monitoring rather than more of that detective feel. So it really is a holistic process that people really need to start thinking about and plan for. And it's, it really is maturity as well. So what, what is a company starting with and, and where do they need to go and how do they get there? Thank you very much, Tony. Very interesting. Kevin McCollum, love to get your thoughts. Agree or disagree with this list? Anything you want to add? Uh, agree. Um, wholeheartedly agree. And just want to say a couple things. First of all, we've talked a lot about risk and we've talked a lot about controls, but let's talk about the relationship between them because risk is everywhere in the organization. Uh, I, 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 I sort of have a little cheat sheet that, you know, of, of the different types of risks, but I you know, could go on forever. Financial risk, geopolitical risk, human capital risk, operational risk, such as a plant breaking down. So there's all this scary stuff going on out there. And guess what? The buck does stop. I want to I, I wanna give uh, definitely, um, I want to second the comment that's been made that the buck stops with the CFO. Everybody needs to be involved in combating risk, but the buck stops with the CFO. So where do controls come into this? And why is it important to have controls for the various forms of risk? Uh, what are their role in the process? Basically, controls are a way to monitor and mitigate risk. So remember the discussion, we, or, or your original quote, Bonnie, mm-hmm. look into the shadows, not as something to be feared. So yes. look, look at something that may appear risky, understand it, quantify it. Uh, controls help you do that. They help you get control over the risks in your business. And frankly, I think that 
as, as risk permeates everywhere in the organization, organizations are becoming more and more aware of the interplay between risk and controls and are starting to learn about the importance of automated and continuously monitored controls and the role that they play in helping organizations mitigate risk. So absolutely, um, risk is everywhere. It's to be understood and quantified, and it's also to be leveraged for competitive advantage. If, you, if your plans um, anticipate risk, you can outflank your competitors simply by having control over that risk and having an action plan in place if a risk does occur. So, Really? Wait, so, so I want you to elaborate on that a little bit. We haven't talked about mm-hmm. competitive. Just, just quickly, Kevin, before I circle around to Susan Stapleton, what, what do you mean by risk can be harnessed for competitive advantage? Well, if you understand the geopolitical risks of investing in a new market or the massive inherent risk in one of the riskiest processes that any organization undertakes, which is new product concept and new product introduction. If you understand those risks and you plan in advance for those risks and you set controls in place to ensure that you stay on target for the objective for a new product program or for an investment in an an, an emerging market, you have a much greater chance of succeeding than if someone, a competitor, uh, makes a a knee-jerk reaction to your strategic move with a uh, me-too type of a move, but doesn't anticipate those risks. You can, be, you can, you can jump way out in, in front of that competitor um, because you've anticipated the risk, you have mitigation plans, you've built it into your budgets, you've built it into your processes, and you have the controls to keep, that are continually monitored to keep the business on track to that strategic objective. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Susan Stapleton, we want you to talk about what Tony introduced and or what Kevin added. Go ahead. Well, I, um, I just wanted to say, you know, I am in St. Louis. I've been here for many, many years, and I used to work for a beverage company here where uh, when we started introducing this compliance topic back in the day, uh, the business said, we're here to make beer. We're not here to manage risk and compliance. So, One of the things, I've always found that to be uh, something that I keep in the back of my mind because businesses are in business to make cars, to push out new products, to make beer, to manufacture deodorant, whatever that may be. So um, I just, you know, I just thought of that is that we're sitting here talking about risk and controls, but the fact of the matter is there's an organization behind all of this that is there to do something uh, to make money. And... Um, I just think it's it's interesting to talk about risk and controls and that it's really behind the scenes uh, in, in a way that all of this needs to happen while you're still running a very successful business. Thank you very much. Tony, this was your topic. Anything you want to add about what your co-panelists just shared? Tony Listella. Yeah, I I would say, you know, based off of what Susan just brought in, you know, that's where really the technology piece comes into play and and having the organization have the the right tools in order to, you know, run their operations as well as manage that risk as well. So, yeah, I I, I like everything that uh, Keith and Susan added, and it just really kind of pulls it all together. Thank you very much. Kevin McCollum, I'm looking at your notes. Let's see if we can find a couple of topics here we haven't covered. I'm going to read one 
that made me smile, and then I'm going to read one I want you to talk about. You say, in many cases, the controls companies put in place to mitigate risk are manually driven and time-consuming to enforce. In the example you gave of unreliability and the envelope, please, (laughs) the 2017 Academy Awards, the Oscars, that famous last three minutes where the wrong movie was credited as being the film of the year. In fact, it wasn't. Embarrassment, shades of red complimenting everybody's evening gowns, and OMG, and who was the host who said, I don't know, I don't know, and they did the best they could with it. So, Kevin, why don't you just comment on that for one minute before I get to the topic I really want you to talk about. How bad could it have gotten, Kevin? Uh, it, 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 got, it got very bad. In fact, I think the specific um, auditor, the, the specific partner individual auditor, um, will probably never participate in that uh, academy in the Academy Awards again. And what that is is a classic example of a manual control failure. There was a manual process to ensure the envelope was handed off properly, that the proper name was announced, that the envelope was stuffed correctly with the winner, and right down the line, steps in that process failed, and there was no uh, control or no adequate control over ensuring the envelope was stuffed correctly, the handoff was done properly, and ultimately you had the the the, the right movie being announced as the movie of the year. So, uh, great story for a manual control failure. And and you know what? A lot of us were saying when the wrong movie supposedly won. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> we'll just leave that one alone. I think it was a sigh of relief that it didn't, but I'm editorializing. Here's what I really like you to talk about. You said the optimal outcome is to locate actual exceptions, but that can be like searching for a needle in a haystack. Most organizations use sample testing methods. You need to remove the current reliance on incomplete information from sample testing. What should companies be doing? Kevin? McCollum. Well, the um, one of the things that listeners may be mystified by is, well, you talked about having all these controls in place. How can there be any exceptions? And the reality is that even with the tightest controls, something slipped through the cracks. You know, an example of a control, a, a, a very classic example of a control, is someone who has the ability to order something, they want a new desk for their office, right? Mm -hmm. And they also get to go down to the receiving dock and sign for that, and then they get to pay for the desk. And that's a recipe for them colluding with a vendor to get a more expensive desk and um, or, or to pay more than the desk was worth to get priority, to get a priority delivery date. All types of things can go wrong when one individual can do the whole process. But there are real business reasons sometimes where you might have that, a very lean operation that operates with five or ten people. Well, one person's doing all the procurement and probably doing the goods receipts too, so the point here is there are going to be exceptions. You can never tighten the ship down so much that things don't happen. But it's your responsibility to know or to identify those exceptions and quantify them. So what they should be doing is continuously monitoring for exceptions that slip through the cracks, monitoring the sufficiency and the strength of their controls, right? Again, it's not good enough just to have controls. You have to monitor that those controls are doing what they're supposed to do because guess what? Your external auditor is going to do that. So your internal auditors and your IT tools, you should have IT tools in place to be able to monitor for those exceptions and self-declare, hey, we, we caught it, or 
hey, we knew that was an exception. It's a permitted exception because that's the way our business operates. But we look at it every time one of those exceptions comes through, so we're sure that we're transparent about it. So that's what companies should be doing, monitoring the sufficiency and the strength of their controls. Thank you, Kevin. Very eloquently put, Susan Stapleton at Greenlight. Love to have your thoughts on what Kevin just proposed. Agree, disagree? Uh, well, I, have you heard of the, the fox guarding the hen house? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, it, that just came to mind because I'm thinking of some of the things that we've been able to find. When you have a, an automated solution running in the background, finding those exceptions, those needles in the haystack, and kind of surfacing them up in a centralized way for you know, CFOs, uh, controllers, people in management to see what are those exceptions because companies today are global in nature. Uh, I have a company here. I have a company in Europe. I have locations in Asia Pacific. I have, I have locations all across the world. And what Kevin was saying is that, you know, some of those lo- locations I may have 500 employees and others I may have five. Well, what we've identified in a couple of companies is that uh, the folks who are really managing and, and making sure that the controls are being performed are actually the folks who have committed some type of fraudulent activity. Um, multiple mm-hmm. transactions where millions of dollars have left the company and it has been fraudulent activity. Uh, when you don't have a centralized oversight where everybody can see what's happening, um, those folks who are supposed to be doing the controls over in uh, uh, Japan and aren't doing those controls and, and know that they're the ones that are, are responsible for it, uh, they can do a lot of damage to a company and it's not really known for quite some time because uh, that they're the fox guarding the hen house over in that part of the, the world. And Susan, that's what makes for very interesting movie plots, isn't it? Isn't <laughs> yeah. it? The person who's hiding the fraud, who's hiding the theft, who's hiding the whatever it is, is the one who's uh, smiling and saying, oh, everything's fine. Bob, yeah, we got it all in place. I ran 15 reports last night. You can go to sleep calmly and they're thinking, damn, what do I need to do now to hide what I've done? Yes, that makes a great plot line. Tony Listella, seen any good movies about fraud recently? Tony, join us. What are your thoughts? I would, I would say basically, you know, to, to look at the risk, a company really needs to have a risk-based approach because at the end of the day, no company is going to be able to continuously monitor everything that's going on in the environment. So it really is important for um, an enterprise-wide more risk assessment um, to be performed and then even take a deeper dive looking at more of that IT risk within the organization so that you can get it down to a a manageable high-risk model that the organization is monitoring from a continuous basis. So, yeah, I I agree with um, the points that were brought in and it's just more of, you know, how can you strategically plan for that and and find those exceptions that are going to be, you know, higher risk and bring in more vulnerability abilities to your organization as well. Thank you, Tony. Kevin, I'm going to circle back to you. Well, you know what? We're in the crystal ball predictions round. So, Kevin, I'm going to let you start the predictions round. Susan, then I'll go next. And then, Tony, I'm going to give you each 60 seconds. Let's see how far we get with that. Kevin McCollum at SAP talking about GRC, the financial impact of all kinds of risks. We're talking about manual versus automated controls. We're talking about the fox guarding the hen house and who is really locating your exceptions and monitoring them and doing it properly in a timely basis. 
basis so everybody benefits all of that good stuff. If we met again around the year 2020, Kevin McCollum, what do you predict would be different about this discussion? Kevin McCollum, prediction, 60 seconds, go. Well, it's mind-blowing, but 2020 is not that far away. So I will say that (laughs) once we get there, there will still be laggards, there will still be leaders. Um, But I think with the inevitability of digital transformation of enterprises, the ability to jump into the leader category, to think of managing risk as being able to manage performance, right? If I don't have insurance on my car managing risk, I'm not going to drive it quickly. If I have the insurance that I'm managing risk in my organization, I'm going to hit the accelerator in the strategic game uh, of the business that I'm in. So I think the tools will be there and enterprises that take advantage will move into the leading, uh, into the lead lane. Lead Thank position. you very much. Thank you, Kevin. Very prophetic. Susan Stapleton at Greenlight. Prediction, 60 seconds. Go ahead, Susan. Well, I think companies that can run lean and mean uh, are, are successful companies. And, and running lean means that a lot of people are doing a lot of activities wearing multiple hats, which, which can introduce risk. So I do believe that companies who look to automate manual processes are going to come out on the front end of that because at the end of the day, the people who are not doing those tedious manual controls and letting that happen in the background are focused on running the business better um, and and operationally, financially, uh, and, and focusing on that versus focusing on a control. Thank you very much. And Ms. Tony M. Lestella at ProTivity. Tony, what do you think? Predict. Yeah, I would say new technologies are always being created and, and with the digitization. And um, I was just reading an article about biometrics. And in addition to fingerprinting, they're, they're coming out with hand vein authentication to help with you know, <sighs> dual password settings and everything. So, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely quite um, interesting. And it's coming in a lot. They commented on, you know, with hospitals and larger bank organizations, it's definitely probably probably the leading industries in that area, but overall um, there, there are intersections and, and ways that companies can to bring that into their organizations as well. So IT controls are definitely the foundation of having a re- reliable financial reporting and process to, to minimize fraud. So yeah, with the new technologies out there, it's always, it's always interesting to see what's going to happen in even you know <coughs> one to one year. Um, so that's just my little fun fact for the today. Very, very interesting, Tony. You're talking about hand vein authentication. Authentication. I'm tweeting this. What about people who are reasonably vain and actually go to a, uh, a plastic surgeon and have their hands smoothed and the surface of the skin is not the original skin? You know what I'm talking about. Maybe a little Botox, well, yeah, maybe and, a little... And that's why this report talked about that there's about 2 to 3% of where the fingerprinting isn't, mm-hmm. isn't accurate. So that's where this hand vein, it's actually internal. So anything on the surface won't won't prevent. Ah, interesting. I had introduced the vanity question. Very, very interesting. We (laughs) see, going back to crime shows, obviously I watch a lot of them uh, where they they find a victim in a park or floating somewhere and they go for the fingerprints. We've all seen this and they say, nope, fingerprints were were filed off. So they didn't want, somebody didn't want the victim to be easily identified. Then they go for the teeth. Nope, teeth have been removed. What are we going to do now? And then they're looking for identification. Tony, that changes the whole 
game. I don't know, hand vein authentication. I'm going to have bad dreams about that one. No, I do have my original hands. Thank you very much. I want to thank the three of you. It's been a very interesting conversation. I appreciate you, your authenticity, the three of you, Susan Stapleton at Greenlight, Tony M. Lestell. I can't get rid of the M, sorry, at Protivity, and Kevin McCollum at SAP. And again, a big shout-out to Alicia Rudolph and Cindy Morell at SAP, not only for helping to put the show together so wonderfully, but also for your ample tweets. I really appreciate it. Anybody see want to see what we are doing, uh, what we've been talking about, go to hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O, obviously on Twitter, and you'll see my tweets. I'm the one with the red phone under handle SAP Radio Game Changers, and uh, we have all kinds of interesting people tweeting and retweeting. So thank you to the three of you. It's been very enlightening. I certainly learned a lot, and I hope our listeners did as well. Uh, tomorrow, 11 a.m. here on the Business Channel on World Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. I will be back with a new edition, of course, of Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship series, and we will be talking about Machine Learning Part 1, The Impact on the Intelligent Enterprise. Are you smart? Is your company smart? Do you understand ML? Do you know what AI is? Are you in the chat body area yet? So much to discuss. Two special guests, Chandran Saravana and David Yonker at SAP, both very smart and will be sharing our insights. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Susan Stapleton, just like Tony M. Listella, and just like Kevin McCollum. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.